Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Francis Lucille. Francis is a spiritual teacher of the tradition of Advaita Vedanta, non-duality. He became a disciple of Jean Klein, a French Advaita teacher whom he met in 1975. This was the beginning of a close association that lasted until the death of his friend and spiritual master in 1998. Jean Klein's own guru, Pandaji uh, Rao, whom he met in India in the 1950s, was a college professor in Bangalore who taught Sanskrit and belonged to a lineage of traditional Advaita Vedanta teachers. Um, Francis and I have just been attending the Science and Non-Duality Conference in California, and so I thought it might be appropriate to start by defining a few terms that are commonly used in this genre so that we understand how we're each using the terms and so our listeners also understand. So if we mention a word like enlightenment or awakening or whatever, they'll uh, have a clear understanding of uh, the sense in which we're using the term. So let, let's start with non-duality since this was the non-duality conference and there are hundreds of teachers running around teaching non-duality and writing books about it and everything. How would you fi define non-duality, Francis? Non-duality could be put in a nutshell by saying that there is only one reality. It's a deep intuition that we all have. It's this deep intuition, for instance, that uh, um, it that is at the origin of physicists seeking the the unity behind the diversity, the, the, the reality, the, 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 the vacuum, the, 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 the physical reality of the, of the, of the universe, etc. It is also the same intuition that there is one single reality that gives birth to uh, a, a religion and the notion of a creator, of a reality in which we move, we live, we have our being. So this intuition that there is only one reality cannot be proven. It cannot is be? proven. Can, can or cannot? Cannot be, be cannot proven, be. right? Okay. It, is, it is something that we all know, as Kant would uh, say, a priori. Mm -hmm. It's an a priori knowledge. It, just as we cannot prove that there is consciousness. We all know we are conscious, but there is no scientific evidence of it as we, could, we can prove gravity by allowing for an object to fall. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, consciousness is such uh, an intimate experience that there is no objective uh, 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 evidence of it. However, if one would negate the reality of consciousness, that there is consciousness, uh, everybody who could hear him saying that would laugh at him because they are hearing him saying that would by, exactly by prove, prove how wrong he is. Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, so this so non-duality would be uh, could be uh, uh, summed up by saying there is only one reality. When we say that that can't be proven, usually I guess we consider things that are commonly experienced by any, anyone and repeated, repeatedly experienced as provable. Uh, 
for instance, uh, gravity. We all experience gravity. Um, we've all stumbled and skinned our knees and dropped things and, and so on. Um, but, you know, there aren't too many people around who can say with certainty that they have experienced consciousness in its pure essence or its pure form. But what if that were to become uh, a common – what if that were to become the norm in society? I wonder if we would then say, sure, we've all – verified the existence of consciousness, you and you and you and you, and even though I can't hold it out as an object, it's as plain to all of us as the lamp, and therefore we accept it as readily as we accept the existence of gravity. Let's be clear about it. I don't think that is, there, is, there is much uh, that, that the fact that there is consciousness, that we are conscious, is in doubt. Right. Everybody, everybody it seems to me, would agree that there is consciousness, that we are conscious. The, the, the disagreement would be as to the nature of this consciousness and on one very specific point. Most of us believe it to be limited, to be personal. Most of us believe that there is one consciousness for each body-mind entity. Right. And uh, in fact, they believe that, and at the same time, they believe that there is a full body of evidence in support of this belief. So they believe this, that this belief is, is a fact and not a belief. But in fact when we try to find out what evidence there is, if any, that consciousness is limited, separated, etc., strangely enough, it turns out that we find no evidence whatsoever. This belief, we have inherited it from our ancestors mm. at a very young age, from culture, education, parents, etc. And we take it for granted, simply right. without questioning it. I was going to ask you why you think non-duality is so popular, but you just uh, gave me an idea for adding an additional question to that, um, which is that why do you think people are so fascinated with the possibility that consciousness isn't just an individual phenomenon or an epiphenomenon of brain functioning? For instance, the cover of Newsweek recently had a, a story about, a, um, I guess, a neurosurgeon who had meningitis and he went into a coma and, and they were monitoring his brain constantly throughout the coma and he they could they had proof that his brain really wasn't functioning the cortex was shut down and yet he and he had and he had been a skeptical materialistic kind of guy but he came out from that reporting an incredible experience that he had had when he was in that coma with vivid detail and and so the cover of newsweek is you know heaven is real um and people love that sort of stuff because I mean, uh, this is turning into more of a statement than a question, but I'm sure you can elaborate because I think we have an intuitive sense that we are more than just this flesh-bound individual. Exactly. And, and we, and that's why this conference is so popular and non-duality is so popular. People are looking for some access to something bigger than their, the confines of their individual existence. Yes, and and... You know, the, the, in fact, when we live under the assumption 
as 99.9999% of mankind does, uh, that consciousness is limited and therefore dependent upon the body and therefore mortal. There is something in us that revolts against that. Mm. You know, if it were absolutely true, there wouldn't be any revolt. Right. This is the fact that there is some revolt shows somehow that there is something fishy about it. <laughs> yeah. You see? Good point. Uh, and, and, and that as long as this uh, uh, problem won't f- have found its solution, we will be seeking. Yeah. There will be a sense of lack. This sense of lack is... Uh, uh, Express in different ways at different times on different parts of the world in different civilizations. It may be seeking God as long as I'm separate from God, or it can be seeking the ultimate reality of nature, of the phenomena, and uh, in, in, as, as, as scientists do. But uh, this, there is a common goal, a common mission of being born as a human being, which is this search for the truth. Yeah, I agree. It seems to be as innate as the, the impulse to breathe, you know. Now, now uh, what I'm not certain of is that, as you said, that non-duality has become very popular. Well, I'm not, not certain uh, of well, that. from our perspective, it seems to be, because we're at conferences like this, but it's yeah, definitely not exactly, exactly. <laughs> In fact, it's a, it's a relatively... relatively Tiny world. Yeah, out of seven billion people. I would like to add something to to, to complete uh, the definition of sure. non-duality. I said um, it could be put in a nutshell by saying that there is only one reality, which is as a result of that the reality of everything, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Now, if we this seems to be a very innocent and uh, and. Um, almost tautological uh, a statement or axiom, there is only one reality. But if we go into the, the details of its implications, uh, we find stunning things. For instance, if there is only one reality, which is the reality of everything, mm-hmm. consciousness, this, ex- this fact of experience, and if we ask, what is the reality of consciousness? And the question, what is the reality of consciousness, c- could be put under in a slightly differently by asking, what is it or who is it who is really conscious? Who is conscious in reality, right? Or what is the reality that is conscious? Mm. If there is only one reality, the reality that is conscious must be the same in all beings. Therefore, the reality as we speak, which is conscious through this body and through that body, must be the same reality if there is only one reality. Mm. Yeah. And which again as you said has all sorts of implications i mean we were talking about the you know the universal s- tendency to seek for deeper experience or deeper reality i mean it it seems to, I, I, 
it's been a long time since I felt that I was just a flesh-bound individual and nothing more, but people who feel that way, there must be a, 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 quite a fear because, you know, I'm 63, I might be feeling like I'm going to cease to exist in 20 years, you know? But, of course, there's no such sense that, you know, the way I feel I could, I could live to 100, I could die tomorrow, really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, there's a kind of an ease and security. With, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that is peace precisely that we all seek. Yes. Knowingly or unknowingly. Right. Unknowingly in ignorance, mm -hmm. knowingly when we are on the path. And then uh, gradually we get established in it and, we, and then life becomes just a celebration yeah. of this presence, of this reality. Yeah. So if consciousness is the reality of all things, then obviously it's not just the reality of you and I. It's not just that it's the same consciousness speaking through us both, but it's also the reality of the couch, you know, and of the, ch the lamp. And, yes. Uh, that, that's why I express it, uh, uh, to, be, to be more precise, more, although it is true to say consciousness is the reality of all things, ultimate reality. I think it's better to express his differently by saying there is only one reality mm -hmm. and therefore the, that which is the real consciousness is this reality. Right. You right. see? Because yeah. then there is only one reality. People can easily admit to it mm -hmm. or they can say, yes, there is one reality that is the reality of the subatomic particles, that is the reality of the distant galaxies and of this entire universe, yeah. that is the reality of matter, of everything I touch, I know, and that is also the reality of this body. Mm -hmm. And if it is the reality of everything, it is also the reality of this mind. Mm -hmm. But what is the reality of this mind if not the, what we call consciousness, you see? Mm -hmm. that's, that's when everything comes together because up until that moment I thought that this reality which is very intimate and it is was not only intimate but private which it isn't right. <laughs> you see consciousness is intimate but not private we all share it yeah we share consciousness obviously but then you know there's there's certain there's there seems to be an in, still an individuation which is very convincing um if, uh, let's say, you bang your finger with something, the pain is felt there. And I'm, although I might be compassionate for you, it's not felt here. <laughs> well, well, in fact, in fact, it is not true that the pain isn't, is felt there. Well, because would you rather I hit the table with a hammer or hit your finger with a well, hammer? Well, <laughs> think about it. When you feel the pain, yeah. you say the pain is, feel, is felt here, right? Mm. But where is this here? This body. The body feels pain. I mean... No, the, the body is felt. Yeah. The body is not that which feels. Right. It's the body is located yeah. in space. But how do you know that because the body is located in space, consciousness is? I'm not jumping to that conclusion. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yes, but, but when we say the pain is felt there and not here, mm -hmm. we assume that consciousness is there feeling the pain and oh, I not see what here. You mean. Yeah, no, I, so I, it's, it's, it's sort of paradoxical because, you know, I'm 
agreeing that consciousness is everywhere and ultimately is everything, uh, but th then there, you know, there's still there's the ocean, and but there's still waves rising up, and you know, this wave experiences its. But but the, the problem is when we say the wave experiences, yeah, the yeah. wave doesn't experience <laughs> consciousness. Experiences the wave. Yeah, you see. And, and, and that's, that's a fine point. When we say the wave experiences, the wave is the mind. And we identify consciousness with the mind. What is important is what, what they call in India discrimination. Right. Discrimination between the perceiver and the perceived. Between the transient and the permanent. And between consciousness and the objects of consciousness. Look, right now, uh, we are filming this dialogue, and there are cameras there. And we could be also webcasting this dialogue, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the fact what is seen through these cameras are this room here in uh, San Rafael, California. And uh, based on what is seen, we could say that that which is perceived is perceived in San Rafael, California. Yeah. But in fact, the webcast can be perceived anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that which is shown is localized somewhere doesn't imply that that which perceives is localized at the same spot. Mm. It implies that the some instruments through which it is perceived, like the camera, right. is localized at the same point, but not necessarily that the the receiving end, if you will, is localized at the same point. Yeah. In fact, in the case of consciousness, it is not in space or time. It is non-local, non right. you see? But we make this very simplistic assumption, uh, which is extraordinary simplistic, not simple, simplistic. I have a friend who likes to use the phrase that we're, we're all sense organs of the infinite. We are not. We are the infinite. We are the infinite. Who senses through this. Yeah, right. Perceiving through, through various, through various sense organs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's a matter of turning it around. Yeah. And, and the habit is to sort of look at it from the, the yeah. individuated point exactly. of view. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Wake up my iPad again here. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I've heard you use the term, you know, self-realization, awakening, enlightenment. And as I understood you when I was listening to recordings, um, you use the term enlightenment um, as with reference to sort of the first clear glimpse of pure awareness or pure uh, consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Whereas then terms like realization or something would be more stabilized, mature state. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let, let, let's assume someone is digging for water from, mm -hmm. for a well, and uh, as, as uh, they are digging or drilling uh, deeper and deeper, at some point they encounter wet soil, if you will. Yeah. You see? And then finally, at some point... There's a gusher. There's, there's yes, there's <laughs> a geyser, you know, right. <laughs> and and, uh, and and so there is real water, right. and uh, when this, when the, the the water that was there under pressure surges, for instance, in this metaphor, 
that would be enlightenment. Uh, there are glimpses prior to that, which are, yeah, when we, f when we feel the dampness, there are glimpses of proximity. Mm -hmm. They are very important. Right. But uh, the real turning point takes place with the realization that consciousness is universal, that that which in me perceives this seemingly ordinary consciousness is in fact the eye of God uh, through which God sees its creation. And uh, so that's a turning point because there is a revelation of the immortality of what we are, mm -hmm. of the infinity of what we are, of the, the absolute splendor of what we are, absolute love, and the revelation of absolute happiness. Mm -hmm. Absolute peace and, and happiness. So, and the revelation that that which we have been seeking all along finally has been found. Yeah. So that's the end of the quest right there. And up until that is reached, there might be seeming stops, but th the quest will never end un unless we have really found the full enchilada <laughs> of that which we were seeking. The full crepe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, when you're saying this, you're referring to uh, a very deep, rich experience. You're not referring to some sort of intellectual notion of it. No. Um, I interviewed a very sweet man uh, about a couple of months ago who had been a Trappist monk for decades, and he had this very profound awakening. And, and after a while, he decided it, it was time for him to read, leave the monastery. And after I, and so he was out, but he was living, and no one knew about him. And I, I interviewed him, and he, he, a couple of weeks later, he emailed me, and he said, "I'm still getting probably 40 or 50 emails a day from people asking me questions, who I would guess have maybe had a momentary glimpse into the absolute reality, or at least a relatively clear." conceptual grasp of it, and then it fades and disappears. It seems that many then cherish a memory of this experience and form conceptual philosophical beliefs around the memory. They then try to convince anyone who will listen that they are fully enlightened, which I am often relatively sure they are not. I try to be gentle and kind to people and quietly suggest that they may have some more work to do, but many won't listen to me and all, and at all and become very defensive and try to prove to me that they are more awake than I, which maybe they are, and I really don't care or know, frankly. <laughs> so I, I, I mention this and take the time to read it because I, I kind of see this a lot in my interacting with people um, in this in this uh, milieu. There, there are a lot of people who seem to grasp an intellectual sense of what you're talking about and then mistake that understanding for some for the realization to which it only points you are you are absolutely right and it seems to be to, to, to me to be one of the major difference between the the traditions you know in, in Buddhism or uh, in Advaita or in Christianity for 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 that matter, or Sufism, etc. In the tradition, uh, the, 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 the first glimpse, even a total glimpse, was usually, uh, usually um, on purpose, uh, played down 
by the teacher, by the master. You know, there is, there is this story of uh, a Zen story, which I love, so I'm going to take yeah. the time to, to go through it, of, of this, this monk who, who has this satori. And uh, he goes to, to, the, to the Hoshi and to the master and says, Master, I had this experience. And the master said, "Ah, oh, no, that's not Satori. Come on, <laughs> go back to the kitchen." You know, and uh, so the guy goes back to the kitchen. But you know, the splendor the, 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 of the revelation is still with him, so he's, he struggles with it. You know, and after uh, a few weeks, he cannot. He asks for a new meeting with the teacher and say, you, "You're sure it was not Satori? I mean, it was so pure. It, it was so. I mean, I, I feel so so free." It's a, and the master says, no, it's not Satori. But three months later, he asks again for an interview. And he says, are you really sure it was not Satori? And then the master says, no, it was not Satori. And then the student says, you know what? You, need, you keep your Satori, and I keep my, not, my non-Satori. <laughs> and then the master goes, oh, it was Satori. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes, so, so, so I don't know where, where, where I went to, into this, this tangent, but yeah, in the tradition, right. the, the, this story shows, among other things, mm-hmm. that the, in the tradition, the satori itself was kind of keep under, under the, the, the rug so that the end game is really to be established in peace and happiness. Yeah. It doesn't matter how we get there. It can be by relatively uh, small incremental satories. Right. You see, it can be that although a glimpse contains potentially the totality of of what needs to be seen uh, and goes deep into uh, to the ultimate, in, into the revelation, the mind comes right away after and kind of hides the revelation again. Of course, that's not impossible to hide it completely. Mm-hmm. And then, gradually, through the, 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 the post-enlightenment sadhana, if you will, like, like a diamond gradually gets freed from all the dirt that surrounds it and then gets cut to, to reveal the light within and the beauty, uh, it takes some time for this post-enlightenment uh, sadhana to lead to uh, this being established in peace and happiness, or at least, as I often say, say to, to be established 99% of the time. Because if you are happy 99% of the time, it's pretty good. Compared to a situation where you were unhappy 99% of the time, it makes a yeah. you know a ten to the four uh, difference. <laughs> getting your money's worth at that point. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine there's also something that has to take place in the nervous system or to this culturing so that the thing can become a, a stable uh, yes. state. You know, there must be changes in the brain taking place. And, and so in on. the body. Right. The, the, I, I don't use the expression the brain, but let's say in the mind, mm-hmm. habits, belief systems sure. in the mind. Well, all those have their physiological correlates. But also uh, mechanisms of defense and aggression. Right. in the body, tensions in the muscle, mm-hmm. tension in the organs, yeah. and even at the cellular level, because that's a basic level. Sure. Uh, years 
of being the, the slave of ignorance have put the body and the mind in a condition which is not its natural condition, not its normal condition. And uh, it takes time then, although the main obstacle has been, the main roadblock has been removed by, by a, 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 a total glimpse, to, for the body and the mind to liberate themselves from these leftovers of ignorance, so mm. that the, the, the fruit of the, of, of the, the fruit of the enlightenment, which is the liberation, can be fully enjoyed. So, um, is it simply a matter of time, or is there, you mentioned the word sadhana, which usually means some kind of practice, so would there be something during that period that one, definitely, would, one would be doing to, to bring this about? De definitely, there is, um, in, in, in um, India, they have this notion of a karana guru. The karana guru is one who is established mm -hmm in peace and happiness, and can facilitate this transition from the enlightenment to being established in peace and happiness. Mm -hmm. It's like a friend on the path who say, okay, I've been, I've been there. I c I've been on to the other side of the mountain. I can take you up to the summit, and then we can, you can see, the, you can enjoy what is the valley and, 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 and the oasis on the other side. Yeah. So presumably this is what you do with your students. They've had an awakening or something, and then you're working with them to help them establish this as a permanent reality, right? Yes, yes. Um, we, you know, we don't have really, from my vantage point, I have only friends. Right, it, call it, them uh, friends, sure. Yeah, uh, uh, because, uh, in fact, ignorance is not a problem. It's part of the, of the it's part of the, of the way the game is being played, right. you see, and uh, but uh, we are all the same consciousness. It's just mm -hmm. that we, yeah, as, um. as they say in India, to see God in everything and everything in God. Mm -hmm. So, what methodologies do you use to work with people so as to, you know, you know, really. Uh, methodology come mostly in the spirit of the moment. Mm -hmm. When a methodology comes from the past, that, that's tradition with a small t. Mm -hmm. Tradition with capital T, there is only one. Traditions with a small t, with lowercase t, there are many. Mm -hmm. Traditions, lowercase t, many traditions, are attached to the form. The real tradition is a tradition, the transmission of this experience, which is formless, which is at the core, and which has to be the same for all, I mean, Buddha, Jesus, uh, Rumi, uh, uh, Shankaracharya, uh, Ramana Maharshi, Jean Klein, you name them, they sh that's the same experience they, they talk about. Meister Eckhart, that's the same experience. Right. And... Uh, so, so then, from this experience, if the the the, the upadis, the, the the skillful means of teaching, will come in the spirit of the moment. Some, because in your own sadhana, your teacher has used some with them. You like them, and you use this tool as re required. But uh, others that you create yourself, you know, just as you may use. Uh, the racket that your coach was using, but you may also try new rackets, and mm -hmm. if one works for 
Yeah, whatever works. Whatever works. <clears throat> so you mentioned the word trans transmission. Uh, does transmission require physical proximity? Because you know you do webinars to people all over the world, and and they can't be in your immediate vicinity as Jean as you were with Jean Klein. The there is something to uh, immediate proximity that that cannot be replaced. You know, just uh, um, well, if you have a loved one, if if you have your child or, or your your loved one, of course you can meet them uh, through Skype. Right. It's much better than write them a letter. Uh, like in the old days, and right. and they, they they wait one month. One month later, they receive the letter. Then they they write you an answer telling you I love you, <laughs> and they say that in twenty pages. And one month later, you receive the answer. Of course, Skype is much better than that, mm. but still there is a huge difference between seeing your loved child or, or your, yeah, your your loved friend, in you know, in person. <laughs> yeah. It's the same here. Yeah, there is something. And I cannot put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. There is something that can, cannot be described and is so, so vivid. When I, when I would meet my teacher, mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't matter whether I would sit. Sometimes I, I, would, I would go to Paris. I would have no word. We would go to a room. We just sit silently next to, to each other. Sometimes I had an urgent question about the truth. I would ask in the beginning, mm -hmm. ask this question first, and I couldn't wait. And sometimes we just have small talks. Right. No matter what happened in these three situations, mm -hmm. always I had this extraordinary experience of feelings that my, my head, the back of my head was expanding mm -hmm. into the space. And, and that my body was expanding into the room. It was strange, you know, and it was very sweet. And, and I, I, could, I could allow myself to, to, to dissolve. To, to, it was like taking a bath yeah. in, in peace, you see? So uh, I have no rational explanation for that other than I became addicted to it. <laughs> And uh, as, I, as I said yesterday, and at the end of, and, and this addiction at some point became my true nature. Mm -hmm. and, and the most important part of the teaching was in fact this silent presence. Now, it may be, and I am, I am certain, that the modern means of communication through internet, like we are doing it since we are taping that, because you, you don't have only the words on a piece of paper you have the tone of the voice. You have the body language. So the, the, the wealth of information that gets transmitted through these means uh, gives, has more impact, if you will. You, you can see more see the sincerity. You can, you can, th there is more to it than just words on a, on a piece of paper. Definitely. See, I've, I've had people writing me things, very beautiful. That was pure, I remember this gentleman, it was pure non-duality. It was a beautiful text. And he asked for, for a meeting. He, he came to see me. He was so nervous for the entire, he couldn't, he couldn't, he, he spoke all the time mm -hmm. 
he, there was not one single moment of stillness in him. Huh. It was his physical demeanor uh, when I was in his presence was just almost the opposite of what he wrote. Maybe he was a little starstruck or something, and he just, you know. Yes, but <laughs> you see, what I'm saying is this, is that the words can only convey so much. Right, yeah. The experience, wh what we are, speaks more loudly than what we say. Right. As you said with Jean Klein, I mean, you could just be sitting in silence or you could be maybe talking about sports or something, but it was this, the presence that had that effect on and, you. And at the end, you know, in the beginning I had a lot of questions and then there was this yoga because the, the point was to, you know, also to, to kind of tame the body, to... Mm -hmm. to, to, to to allow for the body to to liberate itself from these uh, leftovers, but then we would just uh, enjoy a, a meal in a restaurant, go to a concert, go yeah. to an exhibit, just uh, just relax, uh, uh, have breakfast together, uh, clean the dishes, whatever. You know, it was just life. But you still experience that expansive that thing. But that then it becomes so then it became second nature. It becomes so natural that right. it's like the fish in the water. Yeah. You know, I was experiencing this. Mostly, when I would go back to him after a few weeks without seeing him, and then I would, but then after a few days being with him, or a few weeks, it was one day for instance. I, I, I was spending on my summers with him in a in a cottage in uh, in Switzerland above above Montreux, and I was very happy. And towards the end of the stay, we would stay for the month of August. So on the last week, he says, like innocently, but he, wa he, had, he was always, he, he said, well, it's, you know, sometimes it's so nice. He said, you, you, we are somewhere, we, we spend a month. And in hindsight, we realized I was perfectly happy during these months. And as he said that, I realized, gee, that's what just that's what is just happening mm -hmm. for these months i i was like a, the fish in the water yeah. no problem you see but it it was not like a massive experience right just a natural state it was just natural i i, I hadn't had any problem any problem with relationships or any problem with this or with that not that i didn't have yeah but they, nothing would have, have affected me it was just the fish in the water. When the fish is in the water, it's just the fish in the water. I think that's a, a good thing to emphasize that because a lot of times I think people think of enlightenment or awakening as this massive experience and as opposed to just being a very relaxed, simple, natural state of exactly. fulfillment. You know? and, and, and then it's a, state, it's a state of celebration. Yeah. Wh what matters then is it's, it's just a, a big game. You know, that's a big game of life. You have been relieved from the seeking. You yeah. have been relieved from the fear. Mm -hmm. You are there just to enjoy the show. Right. Sit, relax, enjoy the show. You know, that's, that's, that's a mission from that moment on. And then follow your heart. Follow your heart's desire. You enjoy playing tennis, play tennis. You enjoy playing music, play music. You enjoy reading again these stupid things about qu quantum field theories that you used to read uh, uh, 40 years ago. Go for it. Tomorrow, it may be something else. Yeah. But all of that, 
against this background of peace and joy. You know? Yeah, which which actually enables you to enjoy all these things so much more because oh, you're not encumbered no pressure. by all yeah, the... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it's really like, you know... As I think he used the word celebration. And also uh, exploration is like... Is, it, sometimes people say end the seeking and, and that kind of sounds like well I'm done it's no, over you know? no, but it's, it's like it's, it's, it's the, in the way it's the beginning you know? it's exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah and just touching back to a, a slightly previous point I, I wonder I don't want people to feel discouraged be, but I think everyone can find the opportunity if they sincerely desire it but if you had had to, t- to have your whole relationship with Jean Klein over Skype I wonder if it would have had the same effect, you know, as being no. able to really hang out with him. No, you, you know, I, I didn't start with Jean-Claude. I started with Krishnamurti. At the time, there right. was no internet. I was in France. There were not many books about uh, right. those topics. It was more, much more difficult. But I was ready. I wanted to see how someone who lived his experience, assuming Krishnamurti mm-hmm. did, uh, how he lived his ordinary life, because there is a great value in his exemplarity. Yeah. You see? And I, I would have taken a plane anywhere in the world. Could I have had a, a one-hour appointment with Kay, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. I didn't know how, how, where he, he was. He probably had a lot of people around him at that point. Yeah, and, and, and uh, so, so for me, the, 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 the desire for the truth, the, the love for the truth was so strong that taking a plane ticket or changing jobs, changing professions, which I did, was nothing. You see, but most people are full of fear and uh, full of greed and full of other problems that for them, seeking the truth is not the centrality in their lives. Right. They are not at that stage not yet. the first priority. They are at the stage where seeking the truth is still a hobby among other hobbies. Mm. Eventually, it would become their main profession. But yeah. for, for the time being, it's just a hobby. And they, often they kid themselves into thinking that it is the most important thing. Mm. They think it, but they don't put their money where their m- mouth is, if right. you will. They don't, they, don't, they, they don't walk the walk. Yeah. But one thing leads to the next, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm not judgmental. Right. Uh, uh, no, no. It's 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 beautiful already to be interested. You see, sure. it, it does. It is, you cannot pull the plant to make them grow faster. Right. Right. Yeah. Or pry open the flower or something. Um, so I th- we've kind of covered this, but um, I, it's a little bit more ex- exploration of this point. Um, I you've pretty much said that they're you know in awakening is not necessarily an on-off, black-white kind of thing, like, okay, I awakened. and But it's more like there are degrees of unfoldment or stages of uh, of development. But in spite of that, though, is there really some essential kind of watershed moment? There is a watershed moment. uh, Irreversible. What what I call enlightenment Mm -hmm. is this watershed moment when the universality of consciousness reveals itself. And can not be forgotten again, or s- that will never that will never get forgotten. Something at that moment opens up in the back of the mind. It's like a, a, something opening up in the ceiling, you know. And all of a sudden, you see the the sun, or you right. see the, the the sky, and that this hole 
will never uh, close again. But the impact in the mind of this non-event, because it's not an event in time, but this it's still an event, but not in time, so that's why I call it a non-event. The impact in the mind of this non-event may in the beginning seem to be innocuous. Like, like when you you can die as a result of getting a virus or you can die as a result of being uh, uh, injured in a car accident. Now, if you have a big injury in a car accident, you can really say, okay, I'm going to die, and I know exactly when it, when it happened, uh-huh. right? Yes, right, if when the you, accident. Boom. If you caught a virus, you may say, oh, I'm going to die, but I don't know when I caught this virus, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same here. I'm going to be, to dive to ignorance. And, but I don't know when I caught the virus, or I can, I can trace it back to that moment. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So in other words, you're saying that some people, their awakening is, they can mark it on the calendar, and other people it just sort of sneaks up, and maybe they yeah. only recognize it in retrospect. In hindsight, exactly. Right. But, but there is a distinct moment, and this distinct moment is this recognition mm-hmm. of the universality of consciousness. So you're saying that whether the whole thing seems to be rather sudden and dramatic or whether it seems to be very gradual and incremental, either way, there's still, a, in both cases, a distinct moment. There is a distinct moment. A- in fact, even before that, mm-hmm. before that, we have a partial glimpses. Right. And each of these partial, par- partial glimpses is always instantaneous. Mm-hmm. So the process is never really gradual, as a continuous, it's incremental. Right. <laughs> so it's increment by increment, each increment being a glimpse. Being a, a, what, what a glimpse is, is, a, is an insight into consciousness. Now, there are two kinds of insights. There are insights that tell us what consciousness is not. And these insights are very useful, but they are what I call the partial glimpses. And there is a full or final insight, which is the revelation of consciousness itself in its universality. Mm-hmm. You see, so the, the partial glimpses tell us, for instance, someone believes I am the body. And then he hears a teacher saying, you're not the mind, you're not the, you're not the body. You are that which perceives it. And he says, that's true. I'm not the body, I'm that which perceives it. Is that a, is that a, a total glimpse? Not. But is that a glimpse? Yes. Because in order to realize that, he has to look into consciousness and, and, and compare it with the body and make this distinction between the consciousness that perceives and the body which is perceived. And as a result, he realizes, I am not the body. In other words, a partial glimpse is a negative glimpse I realize what consciousness is not. Right. But it's a significant milestone. It's a milestone. It's an, it, it always happens as a... As a it, it, it doesn't happen gradually. It's a sudden realization. I'm not the body. Yeah, I am the consciousness, not the body. So there are many glimpses of that because the same can be 
I am not a thought. Mm. I am not the mind. Or another glimpse, uh, the teacher can, can say, you know what? You think, but thoughts don't think. Thoughts are thought. Therefore, you are not a thought. You are not the I thought. That's also a glimpse, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and uh, it's, is that a, the final glimpse? No, not yet, you see? But so these glimpses are important in that sense that they pave the way to the first final glimpse. So now, we are talking about, uh, you know, various levels of teachers. There are teachers who, who teach the, the partial glimpses they had. There are teachers who can teach, who had the final glimpse, and they can teach, take one to the final glimpse. Provided that at that moment, they are open. If the student is open, then the thing takes place. You know. The transmission takes place, requires openness of both sides. If the teacher is open only at certain moments, and the student... They might be out of sync. Exactly. <laughs> The beauty yeah. of if the teacher is established, you know, at the first moment of openness of the student, then yeah. he gets cooked. Yeah. You see, so that's, so usually with, um, if, if the teacher is, is established in peace, usually the meeting, something happens, you know. There is a connection in love, a connection mm. in something that touches us deeply, that we recognize it. Mm. I've heard, uh, I was reading something you wrote where you talked about uh, that even during deep sleep, inner awareness is retained. And that interests me because I'm, I'm sort of interested sometimes in whether there are kind of litmus tests for degrees of awakening. So a person might think, for instance, I'm awakened now, and yet when they sleep at night, pure awareness is obliterated. Um, was I correct in remembering that that thing that you wrote and is that and do you agree that there sh could be some kind of litmus test like that which um, would sort of in a way certify that awakening had it, reached a certain degree of maturity it uh, yes it 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 could be a, a litmus test that would kind of say that a certain degree of matur maturity but let's not forget that the the real litmus litmus test is happiness but that a person might feel, hey, I'm really happy now. No, no. You know. To be established, to be free, free from the sense of lack. You know, to, right. to, to wake up every morning. You know, like I think it's uh, this poem by Shankaracharya, when I wake up every morning, I celebrate this poor Shankaracharya. Mm. You, the body, I mean, you don't wake up, the body wake, wakes up, but ah. Oh. And you go back to sleep and you surrender the body to this presence, you know, and... and 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 you live in the in this perfume. That's the goal. That's the goal to live in this perfume. Now, this regarding this story of um, not uh, it's true. At, at some point, it becomes clear to you that you never sleep. That you have this experience, you never sleep. But. In my case, when I realized that, I said, oh, that's true, I never sleep. But at the same time, it became clear to me that that had been going on for years. Mm. You see? 
that I couldn't even trace it back to my first to the to a first glimpse of truth, although that's where it comes from, obviously. Right. You see, but it takes time for the mind to recognize something that ha- that has happened before. The example I use is let's let's assume you have a headache mm-hmm. and you take Advil, you know, and then you do things. And two hours later you realize, oh, the headache is yeah, gone. But you don't know when it happened. Exactly. <laughs> you don't know when. You see yeah. it it has happened sometimes in between within the last two hours. Yeah. But when precisely? Interesting. And of course in the specific in this specific example, um it's not like you could be sleeping and, th- and thinking, oh, this is cool. I have inner awareness because even though I'm sleeping. Because then you're not sleeping. You have waking state um, activity going on, you know, analyzing it. Whereas when you're, when you're really sleeping, everything is shut down. And yet, you know, various people in different traditions have reported that the Bible says, I sleep though my heart waketh. You know, Song of yeah. Solomon. Something should, uh, should be said, though. Uh, and uh, in the Indian tradition... They make a distinction between uh, um, three states, the waking state, the dream state, and the deep sleep state. Mm -hmm. But there is a fourth state, Turiya, which is the background of the three states. In other words, and Turiya is pure consciousness, Mm -hmm. is the only state without objectivity, without phenomena. In other words, in what is called the deep sleep state, there are still phenomena that takes place, but no organized dreams. Right. Now, in fact, in meditation, we can reach this deep sleep state while, while somehow the other sense are not completely shut down. In the yogi, they call it yoga nidra, the the deep sleep of the yogi. It's a meditation in which you can uh, reach the same resting quality you have in deep sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, if if one would uh, take the electroencephalogram and uh, the kind of wave you would have would be the kind which are observed during deep sleep. But you are not asleep. We started this conversation talking about non-duality and saying that um, consciousness is everything, or everything is consciousness, whichever way we want to put it. Um, and if you know, we, we agree that that is the case. So it would seem that um, as uh, spiritual progress continues, one would not only reach a state at which um, one under- sees the lives the distinction between pure consciousness and relative phenomenon and realizes that this body is not conscious and so on, but one would reach a, a, a state at which one would actually apprehend the consciousness value of the couch. And, and In other words, the, the real non-duality, to my understanding, would be a complete, all-encompassing um, wholeness. Yes. Uh, in, in which, you know, there's a kind of preliminary stage, it seems, at which there's sort of a separation of consciousness from the world, but eventually the world is yes. subsumed, yes. and it's all this one thing. Yes. That the, the, the saying of the Sufi is, wherever the eye falls is the face of God. Yeah. Nice. And development of that is just a matter of time, of sadhana? or Yeah, time. But sadhana, yeah. yes, yes, because... 
you know, the sadhana under the the supervision of of your karana guru uh, enables you to take shortcuts. Uh, there are there are experiments that can be conducted, exercises. The, the goal of which is precisely to dissolve this residues of separation at the body, because at the, at the level of the body. What you were saying to experience everything in this seamless continuity uh, uh, requires the, the, the dissolution of some obstacles at the gut feeling level. Uh, you know that uh. creates a seeming. Uh, distance and, and separation and uh, some of us we have experienced fleeting moments you know uh, uh, um, paroxystic uh, experience or, 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 or in which we are one with everything mm-hmm. but then this sense of separation comes back right. because uh, the effect of the of the the joint we were smoking <laughs> has dissipated you see yeah. but uh, what we are talking here about is to be knowingly established in this seamlessness mm. or in this seamless continuity. Right. And you may, you may, if you are interested uh, 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 to enjoy, in, uh, interest in enjoying the total fruit of this liberation, uh, 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 somehow conduct experiments that will reveal these obstacles and uh, uh, dissolve them. What would those experiments be? Many. Uh, uh, for instance, if you... If you, if you close your eyes, uh, and if you, if you sense, if you direct your attention towards the sounds, and... Uh, you ask yourself the question, where do these sounds appear? Do they appear inside me or outside? You see, the, you will realize that, in fact, at some point, you, you can perceive them as inside or as outside, but that the, the real raw experience of it is that they are inside you. Mm. You see? So now, the question is, as we open our eyes, for instance, does the world appear inside or outside? So mo- most of us would, would say it appears outside. So in, in, in some tantric tradition, for instance, the, the, a lot of exercises are devoted to uh, uh, getting established in the same experience of interiority with regard to the sense of sight that we can have more easily with the sense of hearing. Mm. You see, just, in other words, just as we hear the world inside us with our eyes closed, that we can see the world inside us with our eyes, with our eyes open. open. Right. So that when we find, it makes a, a huge difference when we relate to people. There is something at a subtle level that if you are expanded in this way, it's it's a kind of hugging the universe, Mm. you see, and it it gets felt. You know, people will feel, oh, this person, I don't know why, but I like this person. Gee, this person 
seems to have opinions that are totally different than mine, uh, or no opinion at all, whereas I have mine, but political opinions, you know, religious opinion, whatever, opinions on, on the football game. And in spite of that, this guy is nice, <laughs> you see? And, yeah. and, and I cannot account for that. And, and that has to do with this more subtle level of realization that all is consciousness at the, at the cellular level. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice example of it. There's this Indian saying, I don't remember the Sanskrit, but the, the world is my family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, obviously, you know, these ways of perceiving and all are so deep-seated and long-standing that it's nothing you can expect to turn over overnight. Yeah, but, but it depends. it depends on how much of your time and energy you want to devote. These exercises right. are very powerful, but on the other hand, there are powerful resistances that prevent us from even trying mm. them out. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Be... Oh, you know, objections that come, oh, what, what the guru is asking is so childish. I'm not going to go down that road. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh. That's why a lot of explanations are required and understandings first are at the intellectual level to be prepared to do these seemingly childish, childish experiments to be confident that after all, they may not be as childish as we thought they were. Yeah. Well, it seems to me if you've really committed yourself to a teacher, then you're going to do whatever he asks, more or less, you know, if he gives some technique like that. You would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I, was, I heard or read of you is you said that you use the expression, the body is expanded to the size of the universe and contains all things. Um, may I ask, is, is that how you experience your, your body or... I, I, and how would you describe? Uh, apparently, you're not, you know, referring to the, you know, six foot body that I see sitting in the chair. You're referring to some kind of other. That, that's how you perceive the body. It's really? not. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's expanded to the size of the universe and contains all things. Uh, meaning, meaning, meaning. Simply, there is a seamless meaning. The everything is your body. You know, if consciousness is universal, mm -hmm. the universe is your body. Right. So, it's, in other words, this body here is ne not necessarily expanded to the size of the universe, but everything is, is my the body. Feeling, the feeling is that, that everything is my body. It's not yeah. different. For, because what you call this body, this body is something. But it, this body is just part of your body. Right. I see. Okay. I understand that now. Um, somebody... Uh, Somebody sent in some questions, and I'm, I'm not going to read them all, but there are a few that could easily be my questions. Uh, so I thought I'd may ask a couple of them um, in appreciation for this person taking the time to send these in to ask you. Um, she, she said, was there some active aspect of your own awakening that at the time was particularly surprising or unexpected? Unexpected, yes. Um, the most unexpected thing, I would say, was the revelation of absolute happiness. Uh, before that, my experience of happiness 
was scalable, sc scalable, scalable, scalable right. hap happiness. In other words, you would go see a good movie. And that made you happy. That, that would be, let's say, four on a, on a, on a happiness scale. You had a right. good meal, that would be three. You, uh, you, you had a, a good tennis match, that would be five, etc. You know, mm -hmm. and... Uh, But even, let's assume, one day you had an experience that would be 10. Uh, then you would say, mm, yes, but I guess there might be some time when I would experience 11 or 12, <laughs> right. you see? Yeah. In other words, happiness seemed to be always something relative and absolute happiness uh, out of the question. So that came really as a surprise. Mm. The revelation you hadn't of, anticipated that. No. no. The revelation of absolute happiness, that was. Yeah. And, and, and absolute beauty also, and absolute love, and uh, the, all of that was together. But the, 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 that, that there could be a total fulfillment of the heart mm. with, with not a single, a single uh, uh, little uh, nook or cranny you know, remaining empty. You know, that was a surprise. That's lovely. And even now, I imagine there are some movies you like better than others. Of course. And, you of know, course. you'd rather win the tennis match than lose. And I recommend Dur you like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. You like that one? Yeah. M Michael Caine and somebody or other, I forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you're saying that those are just now, maybe as opposed to being the whole experience, those are just ripples on a, an ocean of yes. fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. Good. Um, What, in your opinion, in your experience, uh, makes for a good student, one who is ripe for the kind of teaching you offer? The intensity of the desire for the truth. Mm. That's, that's all that counts. So some are kind of wishy-washy and some are burning with the... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which m proves itself in the amount of dedication they apply to it, I suppose. I mean, th that would be the proof I of mean, the pudding. I d <laughs> you know it when you see someone who is in love with truth, you, you know it. Because you have been in love with right, truth yourself. So you, you recognize the kinship. Right, right. Good. Um. Not that you have been. You are in love. Right. But you have been through those stages, you see. So you recognize this kinship. Do you um, see any significance whatsoever in the manifestation of cities, you know, Or is that uh, in your? Uh, is it in any case a uh, an indicator of spiritual awakening? Is it a, a distraction? Um, something one should pursue, avoid, anything? Oh, to pursue it is a distraction, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, when they happen, in fact, I, I don't call that city because these are not cities. Don't belong to a person. Cities belong to God. And the cities, they belong to the totality. Right. They are manifestations. And therefore, their proper, the proper uh, term for that is miracles. Yeah. And what, what miracles are, really, they are God revealing himself or herself, choosing this way to, 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 to tell the, 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 the lover, you know, I'm here, don't worry. Huh. 
You see, that's all. Now, if you take the miracle in a practical sense, you know, God, please uh, uh, make make it rain so that my my harvest be be good. You know, that's very selfish and personal. And if God uh, uh, makes uh, is is a rainmaker in this case, you are simply using God, but you are not loving God. Mm. And you are not knowing God. The, 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 and once it's been raining regularly, you might forget about him. The, the, <laughs> what is important when, when God, yeah, when God make exactly when right. God makes it rain, you you your gratitude should not be for God having given you rain. Your gratitude should be for God. Thank you, God, that you reveal yourself to me ah, through the rain. That's nice. Thank you, God, that you are, that you exist. Thank you, God that you smiled at me through this miracle, mm. you see. Speaking of God, um, we haven't talked too much about God. but you We did, have talked you, only about it. Yes, yeah, yeah. okay, good. <laughs> um, I, I love, I, I mean, I've never been a religious person traditionally, but, um, you know, I just have this sense more and more of the kind of miraculous uh, intelligence that's, inherent in everything and so vast I mean even looking at a single cell it's like we know maybe one percent of what's going on there and yet even what we know it's it's like as complex as a major city and we have a trillion of them or so in our bodies Um, do you feel to what extent do you feel that we can kind of really fathom the, um, the 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 depth or the, the richness or the vastness of that intelligence or is it always going to be kind of a, something that we can at best intuit or get just a taste of for the mind it's unfathomable right so but but uh, it doesn't matter the mind through is an instrument in fact becomes uh, first is an instrument of, of research but then it becomes an instrument of contemplation so although that which is contemplated is unfathomable, uh, uh, at the end of the com- contemplation, we touch the face of God somehow. We touch the unfathomable. And this we live only for, I was going to say, for these moments, but that's not true. Because these moments are in fact one single moment. Mm. So we live only for this moment. You know, in which we live, in which we move, in which we have our being. Mm. It seems that ultimately those whom we revere historically as having been great saints have just become, uh, have, be, have been very great devotees, bak- bak- bhaktas, you know, St. Francis or Jesus or, you know, Ramana Maharshi. They, they all just are just sort of swimming in an ocean of love and, and devotion and that's their reality. Yeah, love, because, because uh, but it's, it's not only love, it's love, understanding. Right. Without understanding, there is no love. Beauty, mm. all these divine qualities, humor, they are, they are all one in this experience. And it's, it's like, just as the white light, when you decompose it through a prism, reveals all all the colors of the rainbow, the divine quality that is there in consciousness, then takes all these colors, all these qualities, love, beauty, etc. Nice. What, speaking of love, what do you love most about teaching, which is pretty much your full-time uh, it's, focus? It's, you know, it's my vocation. Yeah. 
even even before I was interested in uh, in the truth when I was younger, I always enjoyed teaching. Uh-huh. I would teach math, uh, uh, physics, uh, other other matters. I have experience in teaching, and uh, I always enjoyed it. So I was a born teacher in a sense, and and actually. Some people believe that if you liberate yourself from ignorance, as a result, you become a teacher. It's simply not true. I mean, yeah, I it requires say, I it requires a vocation. Yeah. You, you can you can be uh, uh, free from from ignorance and and be an artist, be be a, a, a housemaker, be a gardener, right. be 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 a, a manager. Be it has not nothing to do right. <laughs> right, and, and not good at all as a teacher. Right. So teacher, uh, uh, teaching requires two, two things. It requires sp- some special uh, uh, God-given skills and talents, mm-hmm. and uh, also the, it's a vocation, the, the desire, the enjoyment yeah. of, of, of doing it. Do you find in a way that when you teach... You, you kind of gain more than the people you're teaching. There's a sort of a, an, an a personal enrichment that takes place. It's not only enrichment, it's an enjoyment. Enjoyment, right. And it's, it's, it's part of the celebration. You, you are like the bird singing on its limb. The bird doesn't care whether there is one person, one hundred, uh, or nobody listening uh, to the song. Enjoys the singing. Yeah. yeah. Because the bird, in fact, enjoys the source from which the song, the music originates and in which he's immersed. Beautiful. Um, well, I better get, wrap it up and catch a plane, but is there anything that you'd like to say in conclusion to leave people with, or was it, that was pretty good right there? <laughs> Great. All right, thank you. Um, let me make a couple of concluding remarks. Um, we've been, you've been listening or, to or watching. I also provide this as in audio, uh, an interview with Francis Lucille. Um, this is one in a series, an ongoing series of interviews. It's pretty much one each week. Uh, if you'd like to be notified of new ones that come up, um, you can either subscribe to the YouTube channel or there's a little tab on my website that you can click and fill out a form and you'll receive an email every time a new interview is posted. Um, there are also there is also a discussion group that crops up around each interview, so people like to get in there and discuss the things that were m- mentioned in the interview. So feel free to participate in that. Um, there is an audio podcast if you'd like to listen to this on your iPod rather than sit in front of your computer, and there's a tab with each interview that you can click on to sign up for the the podcast. I'll also be linking to Francis's website, of course, and you have like pretty much every weekend you have a webinar both in English and in French, right? And people can sign up for that, and the cost is very nominal, and there's also even a scholarship program. Um, so I'll be linking to that so that, you know, if you'd like to tune into Francis on a regular basis, you'll be able to do that. And finally, I have a donate button there, and I don't make a big fuss about it, but it's, I appreciate it whenever people can donate to whatever degree because it enables this whole thing to keep rolling. So um, thank you very much for watching or listening, and we will see you next week.